0: This is Matt, and i joined by Terry Underwood, a literacy professor and author on a couple of books on portfolio assessment. And I asked Terry to come on. He's got a great newsletter, uh, another substack, uh, Learning to Read, Reading to Learn. Did I say that right? That's exactly right. right. And uh, he's got a great newsletter. I think everyone should subscribe to it. But uh, he had an interesting comment about failure and how the culture very much uh, can drive that either way for better or worse. And I just said, Hey, we got to talk about this. If you got some time and also talk about your work with portfolios, which I think they get a sense are starting to come back a little bit. I'm just, I wrote a book on portfolios in 2017 and um, it didn't sell that well, uh, but it seems I'm getting more questions about it now than I did in 2017. I'm curious as to maybe why, but, uh, yeah, Terry. Do you want to share just about your books and um, some of that context?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Matt. Hey, thanks for uh, for asking me to talk about this. This is uh, this is really up my alley, more or less. Um, yeah, the, the the whole notion of fear of of sharing and fear of, of disclosing, I think, um, is not just a problem for uh, professional development of teachers, but it's uh, it's a problem for uh, like shining a light on pedagogy generally, um, and the fear is uh, is real. I mean, there uh, teachers there's a lot of teacher bashing uh, out the out in the wild, you know, just in in the uh, communities, and then when you um, add to that the uh, the fact that we have a, a model of schooling that is really uh grounded in in a factory model where you have managers and workers i mean mm-hmm. it, it's pretty ugly but uh i think that that's the bottom line and in the worst case um you get a kind of a surveillance of uh of teachers which you know surveillance will tend to make people fearful and and make drive them in into the shadows a little bit um and uh Okay, here uh, I, I want to pivot a little bit and and go back to where I started began my interest in portfolios. I didn't know that this this was happening, but um, I've thought about this a lot of times. the The last day of school when I was in high school, um, mm-hmm. you know, everybody would leave the the school building. It was a big school. We had about twenty two hundred. Uh, students all together it was a, a a township school in illinois and we had a lot of, of kids from rural areas that were bussed in together into this high school but uh it sat right across from the fox river in illinois and there was a bridge across the river and we had to when we when we left school almost everybody would walk across that bridge and go down main street to uh the west side of chicago uh, of ottawa where uh, a lot of people lived and um what would happen people would line up on the bridge and they would open their notebooks and they would throw all of their papers into the river and the river looked like it was just absolutely uh white with with paper totally covered from shore to shore and uh I always had a little bit of a problem every year with uh, throwing my stuff away. A lot of it, I didn't really care. But uh, ever since I was in fourth grade, I started uh, saving, I started writing stories in fourth grade and I started saving some of my my stories and it just became kind of a, kind of a habit. And even to this day, I have, um, I have rubber tubs full of papers from way back I, I i don't even know what's what's back there. my, my garage is just stuffed with this uh, but um i i really over the years i started to um appreciate the value of of collecting things mm-hmm. that were of interest to me and that i thought might show up i i found that i could never really predict when something would be useful to me and so if i didn't have it i didn't have it i couldn't i couldn't go back to it which is part part of the so you have it have a tendency to hoard there but um you're collecting
0: your knowledge know, you had a value on what you created and it sounds like you valued it more than some of your uh,
1: peers (laughs) yeah yeah um I, i never i never really advertised it or uh, thought much about it until a lot later when I started looking back at this stuff. And I'm really glad I kept stuff from fourth grade. I still have some of my really early early writings. Um, and then uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I came upon, I, I found out that the state of Minnesota, you, do you know anything about Efolio, E-folio Minnesota? No. There's uh, The state of Minnesota decided that every uh child born in the state would be given a portfolio site and um they developed this they call it efolio um minnesota i think that's the name of it but anyway so if you're if you were born in minnesota when you're born you'd have you'd get a portfolio and they would give you a place to uh to collect your stuff and it's free and mm-hmm. any anybody else could you you can buy a, a a site from them i think for $19.99 a year wow. um and um, I started using that site in, in my teaching at, at Sacramento State. And uh, uh, prior, prior to that, years before that, I started, um, the, the, probably the, the early 80s, I started to, I was teaching uh, uh, composition at uh, community colleges in, in California. Mm-hmm. And um, I started to... Get wind of uh this portfolio movement that was that had been catching fire at least since the, the 1960s. And it essentially was was rooted in this idea that um if we don't attend to what we've done, um mm-hmm. uh, regardless, so you could call it a failure, you could call it a success, whatever it is, but we have done it. <laughs> and yeah. if we if we don't look at it and examine it in relation to uh where we are now and where we would like to be, then um, we're sort of uh, adrift, and um, it, it becomes very difficult to kind of make adjustments that may not be comfortable, but you can see you're convinced to um, uh, to, to, to take action, and that that kind. I think there's there's a, a cognitive value that you 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 uh, have this intention that. As you move forward, you're going to do things and you're going to pay attention to what you're doing because you know there's going to come a time when you're going to look back at it. And so that, that got me got me really interested in portfolios. And when I taught um middles, I, I taught fourth grade for three years in the late 1980s and uh, I use portfolios, uh, pretty much exclusively. I mean, those kids were saving everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually would give them prompts and, and have them write, uh, in, in response to reflective prompts. Um, and then when, uh, I entered a doctoral program in 1991, um, I knew that I wanted to do something along these lines, and uh, I was able to get positioned to study a uh, a formal portfolio system in uh, English language arts in a middle school where I was teaching at the time, and that became the basis for my my dissertation. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I think the I think the bottom line, Matt, is um, for me portfolios are a way of thinking. It, mm-hmm. a, a, Uh, connecting the surface of our behavior with the deep structures that we are building in long-term memory. And uh, just as writing on paper, uh, as a mnemonic, it allows us to, either when we're reading or writing, it allows us to manipulate furniture and and long-term memory and build expertise through that manipulation. Portfolios are sort of an extension of of writing, and uh, the one difference, when you write a text and you're going to send it out into the world, um, there's a kind of a, a, of, of a boundary around it, and you hope that it will hold up all by itself. With portfolios, uh, you often don't know what, you don't know what the reader is going to make of what you put in, and mm-hmm. so... Uh, it, 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 there isn't that kind of unity and coherence and uh, organization that you find it in a text, but it is it is, uh, it is it is a form of a text, especially when it's aimed at uh, an audience. You know, at some point somebody's going to look at it. Um, I think there's a lot of sort of romanticism around uh, portfolios, where um, it's all like joy and celebration and uh, and that, and that is absolutely a part of it. I, I I've thought about the idea of portfolio carnivals and por- portfolio reviews where portfolio showcases where we really are celebrating and we're, we're looking at accomplishments and and taking stock of what we've done that that's well And in the end that that's what it's about we want we want we have to have those as, as human beings but um, there's also, uh, like portfolio ethnography. Uh, think of portfolio ethnography as opposed to portfolio assessment, where the purpose of the ethnography is to uncover um, values and patterns of, of behavior and, and understand, be able to explain what, what the, the cultural factors are that uh, are creating, uh, motivating this, this sort of behavior. So um, the word portfolio is nothing more than a collection of artifacts. And um, it, it, because it takes on meaning and significance when it is, um, when you have that other word, portfolio carnival, portfolio review, portfolio assessment, when you, when you add the term assessment, you really uh, throw real a monkey wrench in into the whole process because yeah. at, at bottom there's, um, there's there, there's an antagonism between assessment and portfolio. If I'm just curating my artifact and presenting them, um, what's in it for me to present them to you so you can assess uh, them and and a lot of times what happens when assessment gets tacked on, uh, you 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 really sort of disenfranchise the person who's creating the the portfolio and so that's the that's the part that really has to be sorted out even before you begin to think about uh, designing a portfolio it, It's one thing to, to, to do it in your own classroom because uh, you as the, the teacher you have pretty much control over over how you're going to design it and you can really lessen the, the impact of assessment and use it more as uh, uh, a celebratory, Kind of a tool, but um when you begin to talk about um assessment which is serious business and you can't uh there, there's no way that you can you can teach without assessment there's no way that you can organize a school without assessment it's it's absolutely necessary um and so it has to be it has to be dealt with and I have a couple of of stories about the beginnings of large portfolio systems that I, I want to talk about yeah you know, yeah
0: yeah <clears throat> I was just writing here down writing down before here too I just wanted to note this that um you know it's more, it's a collection of artifacts yeah portfolio it's it can be more than an assessment uh talk about ethnography uh certainly communicates the you know the what what is child values but I you're starting to talk about school-wide or district-wide I have to think it starts as you look at portfolios across different several kids, it's going to start to convey the, the values of a school or a
1: district as well. Yes, it, it absolutely does. Um, in 1989, in the state of Kentucky, the, the Kentucky Supreme Court ruled that the, the entire state school system was unconstitutional and had to be um, redone. And um, They didn't uh, specify a remedy, but they gave it back, turned it back to the legislature, and the legislature came up with a law. Um, They called it. uh, Let's see, I have it written down here. Uh, It was K I R I S. But anyway, it was um, Kentucky. Anyway, the the legislation decided that they were going to use portfolio as a reform tool. Oh by the way, the reason it was unconstitutional. there were 66 rural counties in uh, Kentucky that that filed this a, a suit. They, 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 those schools were just so seriously under resourced that I mean they were you know theres you know, there are there stories about it about that, that uh, they're sort of legendary. But but school finance cases had been coming up since the 60s. There was was a 30-year backlog uh, of of cases where they were decided. Usually it was just a matter of of the state legislature coming up with some kind of law about how we're gonna finance the schools so that we don't have such uh, uh, unequal funding. Um, But in in this case in Kentucky, they decided that they were going to use a uh, portfolio assessment as a reform tool.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, and this was, this was in the legislation. And um, so the, they came up with a uh, advisory committee for developing the, the portfolio system. And essentially it, you know, the, the requirement in the Common Core that LEAs have uh, formative assessments that, where you pool the data and you're able to look at, at trends and that sort of thing. It was on steroids in, uh, in Kentucky. They, the teachers had to make assignments pretty much across the state that um, were at least commensurable in, in intent. And so the, the, the long arm of the state was reaching into the classroom and teachers were giving assignments to kids based on specifications from afar and kids were writing and putting those papers in their portfolios and they were going out for uh you know the moderation to make sure that they were being reliably scored and all that and they mm-hmm. and they had they had to be um, reliably scored because the uh, school funding was dependent on the, this index, it was sort of, in California, we have the API, the average performance index or something per school. Mm-hmm. Well, in Kentucky, um, 14 <clears throat> of their their score on that index was determined by portfolios. And this was sort of a standardized assessment, so essentially. Extremely standardized. The difference is it didn't have any standardized tests. It was dependent on, I mean, it, just imagine if every day when you went in to teach, you had to give a standardized uh, multiple choice test. It would be equivalent to that, except it wasn't multiple choice. It was, um, the, I think there was flexibility in the prompts, but um, essentially it, the, the, the kids hated it. The um, the, the teachers were uh, in many cases resentful. It's, it's interesting that, there's evidence that it actually uh, improved. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. I mean,
0: like just having the kids write every day. Cause there's yeah. got to be some growth there.
1: Yeah, they they uh, they did find. Let me see here. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I made some notes about this. As I, I actually wrote a chapter about Kentucky in in the Portfolio Practices book, and so when I am pre, preparing for this, I remembered uh that i went back to look at it um let's see here the kentucky writing advisory committee create a writing portfolio assessment system and that system had to embrace writing with a purpose which means that it's more than spelling it's more than generating paragraphs there has to be a purpose to the writing Um, writing is a process that we don't just think about it and create a text that there are stages that you go through to create a text, writing for an audience, that uh, who you're writing for, who you can conceive of as the reader, impacts both your purpose and uh, your process. Um, and then um, use that writing for a direct assessment to 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 figure out what is going on in the classroom. Well, when you first mentioned this project,
0: I. I, um, it sounds pretty good. I mean, there's some good, great purpose in the audience. I mean, that's great stuff. And, uh, but you were mentioning that the teachers and the students were not, uh, appreciative of it and they, um, it's because it was kind of top-down
1: mandate. Well, it, it took, it, it took all agency from, I I think part of the problem is, um, it, in, in the rural schools, it may have been seen as a blessing um, compared to what they were getting before. But in the more affluent areas where kids were probably getting, you know, fairly good instruction anyway, uh, it, it was, it was an add-on. It was a chore. It was an intrusion. And, um, and, and so, uh, I, you know, when you, when you, when you stop to think about how do you create a portfolio assessment system? Mm-hmm. The first thing you have to ask is why do I want a portfolio system yeah who is going to be involved in it. And if you forget that the primary participants are the students
0: mm-hmm.
1: and their teachers, um, then you, uh, you know, you're, you're going to fail. There's no sense even, even beginning. And that's what happened. I think in Kentucky, they forgot that they're dealing with with teachers and learners and, uh, you know, um, uh, David Pearson uh, makes, makes a case for what he calls teacher prerogative. And he, there are uh, professionals in other areas like medicine and law have what's called prerogative. And what that means is that research is research, but it is the practitioner's prerogative to use that research as uh, they see it, as they see it useful in their own practice. And it is an individual prerogative. I'm not going to, if you're, if you're an MD, unless you know I get you for malpractice or whatever, I'm not going to be able to uh, put you on remote control and tell you what to do. Now, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, uh, we would have that in, in teacher practice. Now, that might generate fear, but it's going to be a different kind of fear. It's going it, to, rather than fearing that I'm going to be found out, that I'm not really as good as I appear or whatever. Uh, it's fear that I might be wrong, mm. that I'm not going to, um, you know, my, my kids aren't going aren't gonna to do very well. Mm. And that will, even though uh, there might be an activity that I'm thinking about doing in a classroom, even though I don't like it, I don't think it's going to be very much fun. I'm going to have to work at it myself. I'm going to do it because I have a fear that uh, if I don't do it, uh, we're not, things aren't going to work as well. And I would talk; I'd be definitely willing to talk about that with other teachers in public, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I it, the the contrasting case here in 1990, in 1991, the state of Vermont uh, mm-hmm. will, uh, I think it it may have been the first state to voluntarily. Uh, decided to do a, a portfolio assessment system. And that's, they went about it just, uh, I, I also wrote a uh, a chapter on, on Vermont in that book, okay. trying ahead of the fear that schools would get destroyed in the coming onslaught of standardized tests. So who is creating the portfolio system? The state of Vermont. And why are they doing it? In Kentucky, they were doing it to reform um, mm-hmm. education. So it had a a political purpose in Vermont. They were actually acting out of fear that what was going on in the schools was going to be, you know, hyper standardized and uh, Mm -hmm. um, and and pretty much controlled. And and they wanted to get ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Let me let me share with you here. um, Sandy and I wrote uh discuss, this book by the way is designed for anybody who wants to create a portfolio system you need this book because what we do is we examine um nine different portfolio systems from the level of the classroom to the school to the district to the state to the nation and we talk about their strategies for collection how do they collect what, what do they recommend people do to collect material in the portfolio their strategies for selection at some point in the portfolio process, um, learners have to select. The whole question of who selects the material—does the teacher or does the kid? Well, uh, that's that has to be negotiated in as part of the design process. And then reflection. Uh, some will argue, me among them, that you you can't call it a portfolio if there is not a structured. Way that people are going, kids are going to reflect on their work periodically in a formal, public, um, thoughtful uh, way with you know, with their teachers and with with their their peers. So you have the collection part of it, the selection part of it, the reflection part of it. How are they going to do that? And then the the publication part of it. Um, and and at that point, you really begin to get. Uh, you have to be very careful about, you know, who owns this work, what work is going to be made public, uh, and why is it going to be made public. And um, that's where really, I think, if it's if it's if the public pur- purpose is for an assessment, um, that has to be uh, really carefully uh, controlled, because you, you run the risk of disclosing all kinds of stuff to, to uh-huh. people will destroy the the portfolio system if that's not the purpose then it probably should be celebratory or showcase or 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 some sort of a portfolio review um and then and and then you know it provides the same incentive that kids need to write that is somebody's going to read this stuff and we're gonna we're gonna look at it for uh positive purposes Mm -hmm. okay in um in this book, after each chapter, we have a section called Opportunities for Discussion and Inquiry. Number one, the Kentucky system asks students to write for real-world audiences during their classroom instruction while simultaneously asking students to write for an examiner audience, that is, for the individuals who review and score portfolios. What influence might this complex relationship have on students' writing processes, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I. Uh, one time, I was working with uh, a, school, a local school, an, an elementary school, and um, they were interested in school-wide writing assessment. And we designed s- some assessments. And a couple of years later, I went back to the school, and I, found, I talked to a teacher that I had talked to before, and I found that uh, the third-grade teachers were s- some of those teachers were beginning to score higher on the writing assessment than. Um, the teachers who had been, um, you know, sort of the gurus, the writing gurus. And okay. and the, what after I checked into it, I found out that the the formula was if you wanted to score higher in third grade, what you had to teach your kids was for every noun we'll put get your kids to write three adjectives so that you get this kind of sparkly popping kind of writing where, There's, uh, now, a good writing teacher will say, pay more attention to your nouns, Mm -hmm. because the nouns carry the substance of, but they did just the first, and sure enough, when I looked at these papers, these kids were, it was three adjectives per noun. I remember this one paper, uh, my my best friend Kyle has short, dark, light hair, (laughs) you know, and, and the attention is on the adjectives rather than the, but um, so that here, you, you know, what, what, what's gonna happen if you have the kids writing for real purposes at the same time, we're gonna take that for an examiner audience. And it, it kind of creates a schizoid uh, writing environment. Kentucky's system was developed under the assumption that instruction would not change unless teachers were given financial incentives. Do you believe that this assumption is true? So that this this portfolio system was—you uh, can see there's a lot of kind of strings attached to it that yeah. will, will distort what you really want. You want to get kids who, when they cross that bridge after graduating from high school, they're not going to throw their stuff in a river. Okay. You know, they're going to understand that um, there's something there. Now, in my case it was just accidental. I mean, I happen to have a fourth grade teacher who liked my stories. Mm-hmm. And, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how do we get that um, in some sort of systematic mm-hmm. way? Um, yeah, go ahead. You're. Yeah, I just,
0: um, I'm thinking about today, you know, why, why any district or school or even teacher would want to start portfolios. One thing that's starting to come up, I'm seeing more of, um is related to the test or to assessment like you're talking about here terry but as not to circumvent them or to avoid over or to reform but to complement so for example english learners um whether they you know uh english is a second language uh some of these students are not doing well on access tests when I've worked with um, uh, another district or two. And so they see the portfolio as, a, as another way to kind of create a r- richer picture of this kid. And maybe they're not doing well on the standardized test but this portfolio can serve as a, again, it's an assessment and um, you know it can also be gamed as you were saying with the uh, three adjectives uh, but you know, I think they sounds like kind of a theme, though, is we have very good intentions. And then when we put it into practice, so things get complex and complicated
1: and, and uh, messy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, 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 really, I really think that the, uh, the heart of it is uh, the degree to which the, the student is legitimately involved and, and yeah. seen a, a real active participant in it and not just uh, some someone that we're trying to help or we're trying to um, you know make sure that, that that this person can grow up and uh function in in this in this society but actually an agent who we we yeah. hope at some point is going to be self actualized and will be able to self assess um and that's that's you know in, in an ideal world what i would like to see is um when we assess kids, let's see how well they self-assess, how mm-hmm. well we know what they're up to and, yeah. and, and, and how clearly do they have a sense of, of where they're going? Um, I don't know if you, are you familiar with John Downing? Um, John Downing is a re, actually, he was a researcher from the seventies and um, he died young, but he, he had this theory of cognitive confusion that, um, that it's it. That's the problem with with kids learning, especially in in literacy, that they don't um, they don't understand why they're doing this. They don't understand what the what the what the point is. I, I wrote a story in my for my uh, Substack where Mister Bubbles goes out to talk to a first grade kid who's been a uh, uh, second grade kid. His his teacher thinks he has dyslexia, and um, Bubbles talks to him and asks him, "Well." Um, you know, what do you think is going on in people's minds when they're reading? And the kid's just, he, 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 have, you ever, have you ever watched anybody read? And like, yeah, I watched my dad. My dad sits there. And, well, what's your dad doing? Well, he um, he pretty much is just like real quiet. And he has the newspaper in front of his face. And he's doing something. I know he's doing something. Um, but I know that he gets really mad if I bug him. But, you know, he wants to he wants to read this paper. And but he doesn't know what's going on. And then he goes to school. And the first thing he finds out is, well, when you sit down at a, um, at your desk, you see a letter and the letter goes, Buh. Buh. but the kid knows that's not what my dad is doing, you know, and, and, and for four or five months, this is what he gets. And so eventually he just says, you know, I'm confused and I'm never, this is not, this is not for me. I don't understand what's going on here. And, uh, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm going to do what they tell me to do because I have to, but right. Yeah. And, And so that early on, if that, if we get comfortable with confusion and we start to think that, um, we have to look elsewhere, um, or we have to capitulate and stop looking and just do what we're supposed to do. Um, then I, I you know my own daughter is uh, now she's in a doctoral program and she was telling me just a couple weeks ago that she had no idea how um, how deeply she had internalized that and, and it's only now that she's thinking about what am I going to do my dissertation on that and she has to uh, come up with it it's got it's, it's got to be something she really deeply cares about um, all of that external guidance is is by the wayside and you know could you imagine if we start that in kindergarten yeah. portfolios <clears throat> will, will allow you to do that you know if you think about um like a writing prompt um if i give you the writing prompt if you are supposed to write every day um and i'm telling you what to write about um that right at that point uh you you are walled off from, from the activity. when I taught fourth grade, I taught my kids to write prompts and uh, what goes into a prompt. And when we, when we did writing workshop, they had to tell me, you know, who you're writing this for? Um, What is the content of what, 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 what's the substance going to be? How, how do you think that, like starting this with a narrative is is going to be a good idea. What what makes you think that? And and and, and so the, the became their job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then yeah. Then I I had something when I conference with them, I I would be able to go back and uh, yeah. reference that.
0: Whenever you hear uh, teach the reader and the reading, you know, or teach the writer and the writing, I think this is what you're talking about. Is you're teaching readers and writers while you're teaching reading and writing. And it's, it's so much about shifting the responsibility and really the trust and the confidence in kids to not just teach them writing today, but to be a writer and a reader tomorrow. Um, This has been great. Uh, I want to keep talking with you, Terry, but I'm going to pause the recording here and just want to say thanks for, for joining me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right, Matt. Hey, take care of yourself.